Lena Hooter has only lived in Australia for a couple of years so far, but has already had more influence here than many achieve in their lifetime. Despite being a busy mother of four young children, since arriving here, Lena has thrown herself into full-time advocacy work. She's co-founded two organisations, 30 Please and Safe Streets to School. Having grown up in Germany, where she could walk and cycle independently from a young age, Lena assumed that things would be the same for her children here. Despite her shock when arriving in Australia and seeing how unsafe conditions actually are here, she's calmly set about bringing about positive change to her newly adopted homeland. Lena Huda, thank you for being on Influencers. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, you're a mother of four children. Is that what motivated you to start doing the work that you've been doing? Yes, yes, that absolutely. In, in a certain extent, because um, I want my kids to grow up in a really great way, but also to leave them uh, a good planet. And I think what probably really was a Thing where I thought, oh, I personally have to do something was when I moved to Australia, um, people were always telling me about the amazing Australian summers. And when I actually arrived in Australia, we had bushfires. So I was looking outside into the apocalyptic weather and it was a red sky, smoky. And I was like, wow, this is like quite something. That, that is this going to be the future for our children? So then I thought about what I personally can do to um, leave them a good planet. Okay. So we've already established, you just said you came to Australia and we can tell from yes. your accent that perhaps you weren't born just down the road in the local hospital. Yeah. So tell us where you did come from and tell us a bit about your childhood and growing up. Yes. Yeah, so so I, I was born in Germany in the 80s and I grew up in a very suburban like little town in Germany. And the the streets, and that's probably also why I'm so interested in what I'm doing about lower speed limits. It was a 30k speed limit in our neighborhood, and that was just meaning we were. I'm one of four, so we were just playing outside, just being, you know, walking, cycling to school. We only had school very short in the morning in Germany, so we then walked home, and then we just had lunch, and then we just played outside on the street, playing tennis, and and it was just cars were just stopping for us we were just like no cars come yes but you know you go out of the way and cars drive through and there was just never a problem basically in terms of our independence and you know later on the school was a bit further away so all the children rode to school and it was just not something we had a second thought about it was traffic was just not something my parents worried about because we had slow cars around us that we're watching out, which is really interesting because actually Germany is a very car-loving nation. We have so many car makers there. So my town is actually really close to um, Volkswagen. So a lot of people work for Volkswagen and a lot of people like cars, but there's a common understanding that children need to be independent. Children need also to be able to get to places and I say can't drive. There needs to be enough there so that they can walk and ride. And I thought that was really 
confronting for me when we moved to Australia. I thought it's going to be actually exactly the same because we moved to this suburban neighborhood, very similar to how, you know, you know, obviously in Germany, it's not as beautiful as in Australia, you know, like this kind of landscape and the beach. We didn't, I didn't have anything like that. And I thought, oh, this neighborhood, it looks the same. My kids are going to be free to go outside and that's what the kids are going to do in the afternoon. And I was actually really surprised. It's not like that. Like there's like a thing that kids have to be supervised and it's not safe for them to ride their bikes through their neighborhoods. And I was actually very surprised and I was like, why would you be able to drive 50k through this neighborhood? It's like such a strange concept that you go at a speed where you're literally not going to be able to brake if a kid comes and makes a mistake. And I thought that just something that seems to be not really aligned with how the people actually are. Actually, people in Australia, I find they care a lot about children's happiness and they, they like to be outdoors, they like to be active. So why would you create these neighborhoods where, you know, it's fast cars so kids can't actually enjoy it. So that's kind of what really motivated me to really go for the speed limits because it's such a, you know, It's interesting thing. hearing your perspective as an outsider, yeah. if you like, who's yeah. only been here two years now. Yes, yeah. But before we get into 30 Please, the organization yeah. and, and the specifics, I just want to mm -hmm. roll back to Germany a bit. And I'm sure people watching this will think, wow, only going to school in the morning? Yeah. Well, where was that when I went yes. to school? That, that, that seems quite stunning. So you graduated from school. And, and, and what did you do next? Then I um, moved to Munich and there I um, studied mathematics. And so I lived there for five years. I was spent some time in, in Spain actually. And then, uh, yeah. And then after that, I moved to London for my first job. And then I stayed there for a long time. That's where my, I met my Australian husband and we lived in London for 15 years before he finally convinced me that we should definitely move to Australia. So. Yeah, well, let's talk about that moving for Australia because mm. you actually had a very high-flowing career, if I can say mm -hmm. so. Barclays Bank, yeah, and another major. What was Morgan Stanley was the Morgan other one. Morgan Stanley, yeah. yeah. What yeah. was the um, work that you were doing for those organisations? I was, um, I was a salesperson for like complex products, and my clients were German banks and asset managers. So the role was, you know, basically they wanted to have this, you know, my team was a team of German speakers who were then, you know, negotiating these trades with, um, with institutional clients. And it was a really interesting job. I really enjoyed it because you had to kind of think within, you know, you always needed to think about the, the legal framework and the tax framework and what your clients want and what is good for your banks and put that all together. So it was a really... Yeah, interesting. So we're not talking job. selling a pack of cornflakes <laughs> no. here. I dare say these deals that you were doing had quite a few noughts on the Yes, on yeah, the they end were of like, them. yeah, they were like, um, yeah, the biggest one was probably like a billion euro trades, this kind of thing. So they were like, so even though we were maybe not so many people where we had really high um, budgets to achieve, yeah. and we yeah. had a lot of independence to yeah. achieve these targets. And it was, yeah, it was really nice high flying. Uh, job, but what also is interesting once you know now I'm not doing that anymore. I, it wasn't that purposeful. Let's say it was very interesting on a personal level, and the work environment was amazing. It was really fun because it was 
basically a bunch of international people all on a busy buzzing trading floor and and we could basically say i want this marketing fly i want this and i want this lawyer and we could like all get all the resources that you needed so that was interesting um and it's also really interesting for the work i'm doing now because i would say part of it is kind of lobbying yeah. and that and building relationships and getting you know a, a you know, to make this change for lower speed limits, it's about getting a lot of other organizations to ask for the same thing. And that's, yeah. So it is about connecting with people, you know, reaching out to them, not being afraid to be rejected because that's, as a salesperson, that's one of the biggest things you learn. Yeah. You just like, you know, doesn't matter if people, you know, don't want to talk to you, you don't take that personal. Also with this speed campaign, I've reached out to so many organizations and obviously not everybody goes comes back to you. Not everybody thinks they should be talking to you, and that's yeah. fine. That is completely. Um, I'm not afraid of that, and that's yeah. I'm very used to that. Let's say. So it's it, it seems like your corporate work has prepared you well. But one more question: yes. I know you're busting to talk about the organisation, <laughs> so we will. But just you had the corporate career. You've obviously met your husband by now. It's a big decision to go from the absolute heart of the financial district of the City of London, you know, the centre of the globe, if you like, and come to not even Sydney, not even Wollongong, mm. but sort of out on the burbs, yes. on the north, an old coal mining town, if you like. Yes. On the, you know, why did you make that move? What caused that move? Um, basically, my my husband, he always said he wanted to moved back to Australia at some stage and I always said I wanted lots of kids and then we had four kids and then was and then the Brexit happened which probably also sped up the whole thing because with the Brexit it was pretty clear to me that my job is most likely not gonna stay in London. So, you know, having little kids doing that kind of job it has a lot of sacrifices to it mm. and, you know, the travelling and so on. And I thought that I, I thought it was worth it because I thought there's like a long term vision that this is gonna be an interesting job also in 10 years' time when my kids are bigger. But it was clear, and it actually happened. So the whole team had to move to Frankfurt because of Brexit, because of the Brexit regulation. You just can't do that business from the UK anymore. And moving to Germany with my husband, who doesn't speak German, that was just nothing that Not was option. on the cat. So, so here, you know. here you are in Australia, yes. and, and certainly Australian cycling advocacy yes. schools, I think, yes. are the better for it. For, for you and your work that you're doing. So now let's talk about those. Let's talk about two specific organizations separately, yes. 30 Please and, and Safe Streets to School. Yes. So let's start with 30 Please. Mm -hmm. What motivated you to found that organization? Drove through my neighborhood. It's at 50K, but it's actually designed for lower speeds. And I was, it just really confused me. I was like, normally I'm used to drive at the speed limit. That's kind of what. My dad told me in Germany, so don't hold up traffic, drive the speed limit, not over. But And then in my neighborhood was like, it's such a random speed that I'm literally not going to be able to break if somebody wants to, we don't even have footpaths everywhere. So I was like, how is that going to work? So that confused me. And then my um, my husband's friend, he they live in this beautiful street and, and the kids there in Jeringo and they play outside and they make it so they have like swings in the front garden because they have a garden in front and he... He has like one neighbor who speeds through there and and then they they really struggle with that because the kids are there. And 
And it's really hard to confront that neighbor to say, oh, can you please drive slower through our neighborhood? Because there's a 50K sign, right? So what do you say, really? You don't really have the law on your back to confront these people. So it creates this tension in neighborhoods. And I thought, you know, I just started to look a little bit more into it. And then I found um, this webpage from the city of Java. It's called um, Thank You for 30. And, and they have a lot of research there about why 30 is so good. And I was like, oh, it's interesting because I've never knew about the research. I obviously grew up in a 30K environment. And I know how that means that, you know, you, you, you're just safe there from cars. And it works for cars as well. But, you know, if we never had a problem also when I drove through there, it doesn't make a difference. Um, Let's so, talk about uh, a key part of that research. The risk of dying when you get hit by a car as a pedestrian that goes up quite significantly with speed. And that's actually a casual relationship. It's because the kinetic energy that you're exposed to increases with the square of speed. That's probably also because I studied mass. I thought it was quite interesting, something I didn't know before I looked at that. So that means if you get hit at 30K, the risk of dying is, is 10% or less. But if you get hit at 50K, the risk of dying goes up to 90%. That that's, This is data from the center of road safety from New South Wales. So, you know, you might see different, slightly different numbers looking at different organizations, but the, the overall pattern that you get this really big increase of risk over 30K is you see that in any study and um, and that won't go away, let's say, because it's, it's physics. It's not something we can do much about. So that's why the, the all the road safety organizations, they, they all want, you know, it's, it says whenever you mix cars with people walking and cycling, you, the maximum speed should be 30k because not only it's very survivable for most instances, but also most accidents won't ha happen because the driver can just stop in time. So, so let's talk about the second organization, Safe yes. Streets to School. Yes. Which came first and how do the yes. two tie in and how are they different? Yes, so 30 Please is a campaign to change the default speed limit in urban areas to 30K. And I co-founded it with academics um, who have been doing work on this for a long time in Australia. And, um, and that is something that probably I would say is more targeted at state and federal level because that's where you could make these changes, right? The default speed limit is also the most impactful change because you kind of need to make it consistent. It's not the best idea to say, okay, I'm going to make this street 30K and the next one I'm going to make 50. And then it becomes this confusing thing. Safety to school is a little bit different because we, um, you know, through this work, I met a lot of parents in Wollongong. And the, in Wollongong, they're, you know, it's such a beautiful city, as you know, for especially with the weather we have and the, you know, the coastal paths, cycling and walking is just, you know, just lends itself to it. And um, a lot of parents don't let their kids walk away to school because there is no crossings in a lot of streets. There is often no footpaths and drivers also don't really think that they should watch out for kids. It's more the other way around that kids should watch out for cars, which, you know, is, you know, you don't want your kid to die if they make a mistake. And, you know, people make mistakes, especially children. So that leads to this behavior where we drive our kids to school and then we create more traffic and then the kids who walk to school, you know, they're even less safe. So it's just, you know, massive kind of problem um, that we have in the town. We want that our children either um, 
have a footpath and a crossing, so they are separated from fast-moving cars, or they, you know, if, if there's no crossing or if there's no footpath, then we want the speed limit to be 30k or lower, so actually 30k. So that is just a bit different because we can go with that to council and that is then, you know, telling them the choice, just looking from the children's eye, you know, the children that wants to walk to school. It's just obviously not enough to just make these tiny school zones. It's just really bizarre actually to say, you know, we make this tiny zone around the school safe and the rest, we actually make a 50K sign there. So the driver, I reminded to speed up once they exit the school zone. So what does it do, you know? Like, so basically, you know, a lot, for a lot of people, I think it means, okay, I drive my kid into the safe school zone and that's actually also where I can cross the street and my kid is not exposed to this fast moving traffic. And then, then the, the, the kids obviously who walk or cycle, they don't, they have to go to their home, but the home is in this, you know, street with a high speed limit, no crossing. So what does this do? You know, it just means that a lot of children get driven everywhere. And also in particular in the afternoon, I'm just surprised how completely supervised children are. They're either inside or they're at supervised afternoon activities. That's kind of my experience here. And I think for families who don't have enough money to drive them everywhere, I think that's really um, sad, you know, that the kids then probably are inside inactive because it's just not normal to just go and play on the street, you, you know. Some people do it, but it's, we sometimes do it on our street, but I always have an eye out. We can't just trust drivers to slow down for the children. And some people even might think that they shouldn't be there, which is really bizarre because why would they not be there? Indeed. <laughs> the concept of streets being just, if you like, traffic sewers, to use some jargon, as opposed yes. to the place where life of the town happens is only a very new concept in the history of streets, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Yes, and obviously, you know, so what we're also saying, obviously, if you have the arterial roads, there, you know, you might want to say, okay, maybe you want to have the cars moving faster than 30k, but then you should provide the proper infrastructure. And so the, the bike lanes and the footpaths and the crossings, that's definitely where, you know, on arterial road, when you have a lot of cars, you definitely want to have that. But also, you know, thinking more for like a system point of view, if we were actually fixing our local streets with a lower speed limits, then we could also already have more like a strategy to spend our money and energy on fixing up the arterial roads for um, for cycling and walking more. Um, but, you know, not having that kind of concept of using lower speed limit just makes it kind of overwhelming to trying to think about how we're going to how are we going to create this connected um, cycling network in So you've Australia. got your two organisations with, with similar yes. related asks yes. but slightly different organisations. Yes. Two questions. How's it been going so far? Yes. And how long do you think it's going to take to achieve the results that you want to see? Well, it's actually so interesting because this is such a open door kind of campaign I find because most people in policy who have spent more than five minutes looking at evidence with an open eye you know and also looking for example at travel times because they think some people are like oh my god that's going to cost us so much time and then you look at it and you're like well it's only the local streets it's the streets where cars don't spend much time so it has minimal impact and has massive 
outcomes for walking and cycling, which could reduce congestion, this kind of thing. So, you know, any kind of expert kind of gets it pretty fast. And also a lot of politicians, actually, they understand that that would be something that we could do right away. That's not expensive. And that would make everything cheaper that we want to achieve because a lot of infrastructure for pedestrians is so expensive, like a big fence. You need that because cars go so fast. There's no need for a big fence or like a massive bridge if you know if you slow down the trees. So, so, so if the experts get it yes. and a lot of the politicians get yes. it, why isn't it happening? What are the main barriers? Yes. So I think um, I think Australians are relatively conflict averse. So I don't think people are very, you know, compared to like, you know, growing up in Germany, it's completely different when you go to school because the German schools are all about the teacher, most teachers, they want you to teach you how, how to use your voice so the Holocaust doesn't happen again. That's basically, I think, the motivation of any history teacher in life I ever had. It's basically such a mainstream thing. And so you're always kind of encouraged to think for yourself, challenge the status quo and speak up if something isn't right. And I find that that is here. I've met some amazing advocates, including yourself. But it's not necessarily something that, you know, people are not so, you know, asking lower speed limits, you know, ask something from somebody. So this sounds a bit, you know, you have to actually, you know, maybe take away somebody's freedom, you know, like, which you don't. But I think that's what people feel. They are like, feel uncomfortable to say that. And I think the, you know, because when you look at the community support, it's actually really high, the Heart Foundation did a study about what Australia wants and the majority of Australians support lower speed limits in neighborhoods. But they are not necessarily the outspoken ones. They are not, you know, that passionate about it that they're going to go on the streets. So I think um, politicians are just very much thinking about, you know, you know, what's the status quo and changing status quo is always hard, needs a lot of political leadership. And I think we were just maybe also a little bit unlucky that we didn't really have like that kind of leadership that you need, that somebody is like, you know, this is maybe not so easy to explain, but, you know, sometimes when we, um, when we value something like children's freedom, I think actually all the Australians, I know they value children's freedom and they, they, they value independence and activity for children. And sometimes when we value things, we also have to change things to, to maintain it and that in this case you know the speed limits in german neighborhoods and in sweden and in holland they were changed 40 years ago and they then we didn't see that what happened here in australia we i think we have now four times the amount of cars than in the 70s and not much has been done for children that they can navigate that situation so actually the center for road safety just says oh you should hold your kid's hand until they're 10 years old and and the complete opposite happens in German messaging, for example. That's pretty tricky for you with four kids and two hands. Exactly. How, and, does that and work? how do you ride bikes with your kids if you have to hold the hands? How do you, how do you like physically cross the street if you're supposed to hold the kid's hand until they're 10 years old? And, and that's the New South Wales Centre for Road Safety. So I think it's really poor to say, okay, we, we find it too hard to fix the streets for kids. So as a result, we want you to, you know, hold the hands. You know, is that really all we can do? I think, you know, that's why I think it needs that leadership that we just do it, make it safe, you know. And, you know, as I said, in Germany, the, my, my, you know, my nephew, he is seven, so he walks to school unsupervised. 
um, that's actually quite far for 15 minutes or 20 minutes a day. And this, and you know, before kids start school, the parents are all invited and the police comes and the school comes and the parents, they are like told your kid should walk to school by themselves. You have to practice with them because if you over um, parent them and over supervise them, they are not going to be good in traffic and they are not going to re reach their milestone. And um, so it's a complete opposite messaging, you know? Like so they, it's, they, they it's a like, huge contrast to it, Australia. Oh, completely, it? completely. You like it's very different how how society pushes parents to actually let go and encourage that independence. But obviously, in return as well, the streets are so much safer. Like when I grew up in in the eighties, my streets were already so much safer for me than what I see now here for my children. So. It goes together. It's so, not the one so thing. So if anyone's yeah. watching this and they yes. think, gee, I would like Australia to be a little bit more like Germany or perhaps other neighbouring yes. countries, what should they be doing about it? You know, yes. what would you advise someone yes. to actually do? Yes. So Safe Streets to School, um, I think, so we, we have a petition and we have it for a different council. So, you know, that, that's, I think, a very um, effective way to inf influence councils. It's, it's because if you... If you start that like a chapter in a new council or if you join ours, then you can speak on behalf of the group and that's very, very powerful for advocacy that you don't just, you know, not not just everybody speaking for themselves. And we have all the material, so it's really simple to do that. And um, advocacy in general, you know, that's what we do a lot as well, is trying to get a lot of organizations behind it. So it's not just, you know, where one person says, and I want more bike lanes, and somebody else says, I want this. But we all can agree, we all want these lower speed limits. And I think then we have more of a chance to make it happen. And we should also really say 30K, because there is this tendency, some people say like, oh, we should do 40K. And it's like, well, you know, you have such a poor infrastructure for walking, cycling, really, in international comparison with other rich countries. It's like, it's such a lack of everything. And the other countries, they go for 30, and then we think we should do 40. So how would that make any yeah. sense? Because that means if you go 40, that means you still need the infrastructure. You still yeah. need to separate. So why would that? Why would we want to go for that? Because yeah. it is, it is a change, and people are, who don't, don't like lower speed limits, I think they're going to be unhappy about 40 or 30K. That's so you not, might as you know, well go the whole hog and do it you know, properly, it's, what you're it's, like, it's, it's actually an, yeah. a, a mandate by the United Nations. It's not just... You know, and we, I don't even understand how, you know, the United Nations mandates it. And then, you know, in Australia, we, we, we kind of put it out there in the, the policies, but then we don't implement it. Yeah. And what does that actually mean when a child dies in traffic? Does that mean that the child is just responsible themselves? Or does it mean that the policies are not correct? Don't we think we should save, you know, like save these lives? So you've been working really hard on this, putting in a lot of time. Yes. And have you found that mentally or physically draining to be fighting against such entrenched values and yeah. vested interests? How do you cope with that? No, I actually really like it. It's a really nice, it's actually really the, the nicest people I work with and I meet through this work, really inspiring people. And and I think it's... um. It's very purposeful and it would have, you know, amazing outcomes if it happens. And I can also see how, you know, we also, for example, get money from the New South Wales government for a small pilot here in Wollongong for a slowdown day. So 
So it's obviously a very small step to do, you know, to get to this big vision. Um, but it's you can see that there is, you know, interest, and I think people are really thinking about it on the government level, but also other organizations. How can we make this happen? So I think we are getting closer to it. Okay. So we're getting yes. closer. Yes. Have you given yourself a time frame to keep doing this work full time before you go back to the corporate world? Or do you think you're in this for the long haul? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think um, I find it actually really rewarding to do, you know, because I can see how, you know, also by how many, you know, politicians and policy um, advisors, not just about the policy people and other organizations talk to us. Um, I find it really um, rewarding. And I think it's actually really important that this lobbying, you could call it lobbying if it was, a, if it was for profit, it's not, so it's advocacy. But it's such an important thing to do. And it's obviously not many people in my position have that privilege to be able to give their time for such a cause. And um, and it's it's nice to be able to do it. So I, I completely enjoy it. I hope obviously we, we get there rather sooner than later, just also out of self-interest for, you know, my kids. I don't want my kids to, you know, be, you know, like get hit by a car. It's just something I worry about more than a lot of other things, just looking at the stats. And Only Australia. natural that any mother yeah. would think that or any, yeah. any father yes. or any... Anyway, yes. but I also don't want to steal their independence. Like I've, I've, no. I'm pretty big on that. And for example, in, the, in COVID, I thought it was timing wise such a, you know, my, you know, my, my our neighbors they said just, oh, does your daughter want to go cycling with my sons? They're nine, to pretty, you know, to the to along the cafe and then to the plane. I was like, yes, you know, and, and they and they initiated, and that's this group of nine year olds. They just cycled around and. Mm. Um, got an ice cream and I thought, oh, that is so great. I'm so grateful for that, that she can experience that, that because it's part of growing up and I don't want to delay that for. So that COVID time with the lockdowns and kids yes, riding yes. everywhere, and oh, it yeah. was sort of almost like a vision to the future, but let's yes. finish with a vision to the future. Yes. Imagine it's 2030. Yes. What do you want to see? You, we, we're teleporting to 2030. Yes. We've got out of the TARDIS and we're looking around where you live right now yes. and broader Australia, what what's your vision? What would you like to see? Oh, uh, yeah. So basically I want all the people who want to walk and ride to have the option to do so and be safe while they do so. So, and for me, that means that, you know, probably 80% of streets should be 30K and we probably don't do much more. Probably puts just the technology in the car so cars can actually speed. That's something else I'm really passionate about because there is technology already mandatory in the eu for new cars where you literally can't exceed the speed limit and i think that is so much more cost efficient than trying or saying oh we have to fix all the neighborhoods up and that's a lot of you know that's often what people say they say oh no 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 we have to to completely redesign the streets and then we could make them slower and then obviously yeah but that's going to cost like billions so, and billions so 80 percent of the roads 30 k's yeah. now yes Cars that are speed governed yes. to stay within the limit. Yeah. Any any other key? If and you then could pick on the, one on, or two on the, things. Yeah. On the, the, on the other roads, I would really like to see bike lanes, crossings, and footpaths. And I think that would give people the option. And I think it would be um, something people would probably because I saw it in the lockdown, right? It's that you're having the option. If you have a lockdown, you have 
low traffic neighborhood. So having less cars, that helps tremendously. But just by reducing the speed, I think we get there. And I saw it also in the holiday parks, actually. Yeah. I was I, that thought it was for me the most amazing. I did this work for a year, and then we went to a holiday park in Lake Conjola, and and then all of a sudden, you know, there were kids from five years old, unsupervised, outside riding their bike. Everybody out of the bus. And my my husband, he actually he drove probably twenty k in this holiday park. And somebody else came to him and said, "You have to slow down here. It's ten k." And I was like, "Wow, you know, this is exactly how." how we could have it in our neighborhoods because they are very similar in a lot of ways to these holiday books. It's just the last mile. You don't even have to go to 10K. We could go three times faster and we still get a similar environment. And we, you know, and so people pay for the privilege to go to a holiday park and then they just let their kid go free. So this kind of free range side that kids in the Netherlands, for example, in particular, is the number one country for kids' happiness is the Netherlands, right? And that's the kind of childhood they have. And we have this here in a holiday park. And that's purely because we, you know, slow down cars and we watch out for kids. So we right? need to turn Australia into a giant holiday park. And in a way, you know, I mean, obviously we don't have to go as slow. We could still go three times yeah. faster. So yeah. so that still works. Um, but yeah. I think that is a good way to grow up, to just, you know, be yeah. able to go out and about. And then also, you know, in a holiday park, that I'm sure that was striking because you're surrounded by complete strangers and there you let your kid go wild and free and don't supervise. But then you go to your neighborhood where you have, you know, people you actually know and there you're worried about and people tell you about being worried about strangers. And it's just, why? You know, that yeah. just doesn't, that, that doesn't, that's probably not it. I do think that the, the choice that we make to choose cars over children, that's probably where we have to really think about if we really want to leave it like that. And I don't think no. people want that, actually. I really don't think they want it. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> and I think you're doing really valuable work, Lena. Thank you. So thank you for being an influencer. Thank you so much. <laughs>